I'm Phil Liggett, and this is The Wheelhouse. All right, well, hello and welcome to another episode of The Wheelhouse. And in a pretty predictable turn of events, because we're in the middle of the cycling season, it's been a massive week. Uh, So we have a lot to talk about. Unfortunately, Joel can't be with us today. I'd love to tell you that he's out adventuring on his bike somewhere. Uh, Alas, he's sick, so we're sending all our wishes to him. Good luck, buddy. I hope you feel better for next week. Uh, But you know what? I went searching for somebody to fill the very big shoes of Joel. And if I can say so myself, I reckon I've done a pretty good job uh, with who I have found to sit in the chair across from me. Uh, I've got someone who is Australian road champion, Olympian, known as the hard man of Australian cycling uh, in the classics in the days, the one and only Hank Vogels. Hank, welcome to the bunker. Thank you, Kate. It's my pleasure. Um, Hard man. I don't have so much a hard man anymore, though. Hard to talk to, yeah. hard to get along with. Yeah, maybe that. <laughs> maybe you have to ask my wife that one. It's um. So, I mean, you're a long-time listener, just first-time guest, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> well, so you've ridden six Grand Tours, 15 Classics. You've been top 10 in Paris-Roubaix and Ghent-Wavelgum. Uh, but the stories that you have along the way, honestly, they would fill editions of books. Um, you've got a bit of a new venture now, though, not withdrawn from cycling. Uh, what are you up to these days? Yeah, so now oh, the last four years have been director sportive of an Australian pro men's and women's cycling team based on Sunshine Coast. Uh, so we've been, um, yeah, when I walked in the door, there was seven or eight athletes and not much money and we've grown it now to 27 athletes. So we've got men's, women's, elite uh, under 23s, men's and women, and juniors, men Oof. and women. So uh, it's pretty massive, and that's the ARA Skip Capital team based on the Sunshine Coast, and we race all around the world now. So apart from when there's a you know a general pandemic happening, but um, yeah, that kind of puts a dampener on things. Yes, right? but um, that was still good for development um, at the grassroots level. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, open slather now we can get across the borders and race which we're going to be doing a lot this year of well and you've already made a massive imprint not only in australian cycling but actually in world cycling we'll talk about that a little bit later um to kick us off it's been a massive week we're in classic season i'm excited about that i know that uh it gets your heart racing as well hank let's just go through what's happened this week uh, we had Omlope at newsblad for the men and the women that was the opening weekend dylan van bala won for the men, Lotta Kopecky took the honours for the women, so Yumbo and SD Works. They doubled up again the next day. Tish Benut won at KBK for Yumbo and Lorena Vibes won at Hagerland. Oh, I want to ask you about her sprinting and um, what you think of her a little bit later. Jonas Vingegaard, he's back. How good. I think everybody was wondering whether he would emerge from hiding. Uh, he's back with a bang too. He won all three stages and the GC in El Gran Camino and he looks pretty happy along the way. We've got Philippe Lulu. He's one of Joel's favourites. Hank, he's back as well. Uh, he won in Fornardesh, which is great to see him back. Nearly a year anniversary from his crappy accident last year. And uh, UAE Tour wrapped up. Remco Avenapool did Avenapooly things uh, and took the GC. A little bit unrecognisable, though, in his leader's jersey and not his world champion's jersey. Now... I understand, Hank, is this right? 
When you're world champion, you can choose to wear the leaders' jersey or the world champion's jersey in a race like that? No, I reckon you've got to wear the the leaders' jersey. The leaders. I mean, I think you'd be pretty brave in the UAE to say thank you, Mr. Sheik, for the lovely uh, jersey, but I'm going to decline the offer and wear my world champion one instead. Wouldn't that be good, though? It would be, yeah. That'd be a story. Hey, I'm the world champ. Yeah. Come on, mate. You know, these things don't grow on trees. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. Um, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of it. And you know what? We're the only Australian weekly cycling podcast. If we want to talk about the Aussies, we're going to do it. No more Remco here for today, Hank. I want to talk about Luke Plapp. He came second behind the world champion at the UAE Tour. And uh, some pretty spectacular rides along the way too. How good is this kid, Plappy, as everybody likes to call him? Well, Plappy, he's certainly um, got one of the biggest egos I know around. <laughs> you reckon? No, absolutely. Uh, and you've got to have that, right? I mean, look at Robbie McEwen, one of the biggest egos, one of the biggest Palmares. So this kid, you know, I mean, who comes out as an under-23 in the National Road Championships and goes, nah, I'm not riding under-23, I'm winning the elite. Like and he's that, and, he, mm. and does it and then backs it up. Well, it's interesting you say ego because I would say he's one of the nicest young kids that we have. And so I think this is an existence where you can coexist with an ego and be a nice kid. So ego hmm. doesn't ne- necessarily mean arrogance. No, no, right? no. That two different two different words there for sure. I mean, he's got to have a pair of swing and swingers on him to do that. He like, just backs himself, exactly. doesn't he? Exactly. So uh, you don't ever hear him hanging shit on anyone. Like he's a good kid. You're, you're absolutely 100% right. But he's he knows he is a good bike rider and he has, you know, he's he wants to back himself totally. So, I mean, some of the stuff he was doing in the UAE tour, going for the bonuses because he knew, he totally knew that Remco is another level right now because mm. he's world champion and he is. And Remco will win the tour one day. I've got no doubt. Or Giro, Walter, yeah. yep. you know, if depends if he gets away from Lefebvre but uh oh, that's a, that's yeah a we've whole, got to talk about that a, a bit whole later. story <laughs> but um yeah Luke's pretty he's pretty cluey so you know you saw him getting those time bonuses and that helped him run second I mean he didn't climb with him in, in the final but hey I mean the kid is exceptional knows how to ride the crosswinds he's got a huge time trial on him um he's an he's a classy all-round bike rider he's just started too. I don't think he knows how good he is yet. You know, he needs a couple of big seasons in Europe to, to get that real, you know, he needs a couple of grand tours in his legs, of he's, which I don't think he's done yet. No, um, he's got massive, massive power numbers too, doesn't he? It's We were talking last week about UAE Tour and just the profile of the riders and mm. that Plappy throws out these enormous power numbers mm. and what he can do in the wind is just mind-boggling and time trials, as you mentioned. But he runs about eight to 10 kilos heavier than a Venipool, for example, and 10 kilos over Yates. Is it a case of he's going to have to change himself a little bit if he wants to ride the Grand Tours? Or do you think Grand Tours are not what Plapp will be known for, but more the classics? Because he's kind of in between at the moment, right? Mm. Where he could go any direction. Yeah, I think they signed him for for Grand Tours. Um I mean, if you look back and see what Wiggins did from, you know, when he was a pursuiter and then he changed himself into a Tour de France rider, I mean, you know, the weight loss 
that he encountered to do that was extraordinary and not many people can do that. I don't think he's got much to lose, Luke, but you can always definitely get skinnier. But I don't think that's the case. I think he just needs to do... He needs to do lots of stage races and do more days of racing and just get that power. Um, as you saw, well, in my era, big guys can still win Tour de France. And yes. maybe the science is different. I don't know. Maybe the science is different now and, you know, the power to weight ratios are different. And um, I don't know. I mean, you've got so many youngsters in your team. I think everybody's got to be pretty careful talking about weight and mm. it's a dangerous game to play. Certainly. Even for mentality to try and turn them into different kinds of riders. I just want to see that epic engine and those crosswind rides continue. Yeah. It will give people a lot to cheer for, for. In your team, are you looking for the plappies? Like, is that kind of your place in world cycling that ARA Skip Capital can hand off the plappies to the pro teams? And you might then be in the background, but you're rubbing your hands together knowing that you've been a big part of the journey? Yeah, I mean, we're not... We're not looking for the next Luke Plap. I mean, more so for us, we're we're based on the Sunshine Coast at USC. So really for us, the main thing is mentoring young cyclists. It's not all about results, even though they are the most competitive group ever and they want to win bike races and they want to go to the World Tour. But for us, that's not what it's about. Us is just teaching them how to do things right. So like for us, that. that's the that's the... That's the crux and, you know, the, the idea behind ARA Skip Capital. It's about teaching that young lady or that young man, like, this is the right way to do things. You know, if you don't listen, you get left behind, you know. You're learning quickly, you know. We're there to teach them to be adults first, to win races second. So that's massive for us. And, um, you know, the team was started around um, so many people having nothing after cycling, and that's that's just horrific for anyone to go through to be the best in the world, Olympic champion, and then, oh, my God, what am I going to do now? So half of, the, half of the athletes are studying too. So for us, a win is if someone gets through university and we teach them to be a good adult, it's a bonus if they go into the world tour, but we have put some through. So And we will continue to keep doing that, but that's massive for us. I mean, we want them to walk away better people from our program after three years. Because uh, we can't, it's not jobs for life. Come in at year 12 and walk away at 23. So, and, and we haven't had anyone to do that yet. Those five years, we haven't had anyone five years. It's generally one to three years and they move on to different teams. That's a pretty cool uh, project. You're, you're building good humans. I mean, I always say to people, and you and I, Hank, we've both been through that transition from uh, pro-life into real life and mm. we've found that cliff and there's been some ups and downs climbing up it, falling off it. Um, so it's pretty cool that you're then uh, helping, you know, the next mm. generation avoid those little pitfalls. Um, you've got Maeve Plouffe in the Women's World Tour this year. I was very pleased to see her yep. join uh, Team DSM, knowing her background and where she's come from, also mm. at university. Like, you're doing a really great job of that. You've had a pretty successful early season so far. I remember last year at Road Nationals, you guys won six national titles. Um, a dominant performance, you could call that, given the demographics of your team. Mm. This year we saw Isabel Kahn's on the world stage at the Tour Down Under, um, putting the colours out there. The focus might not be on getting them to the world tour, but you've got some tremendous athletes mm. in your yeah. group. Yeah, this year was three gold, 
six silver, three bronze at the national championships. But I mean, when we had athletes in all, so 19s, 23s, elites. So um, for us, it's massive start of the year. Summer cycling is amazing. So, you know, Bay Crits, Nationals, Tour Under, Cadells, Melbourne to Warnemore, all in a five-week stretch. Um, so there's a, a lot of racing to be done and you're pretty much exhausted by the end of it. The ladies had way more racing than the men's because the World Tour is very hard to get into it. And I know obviously uh, we couldn't get our men's team in there, but we did have some riders in Cadell's. Um, but yeah, we've got lots of really good young talent like Lucinda uh, Stewart. She's going to be a superstar. She doesn't know how good she is. Same with Izzy. Um, Lauren Bates, got to throw her in there. Yeah, Lauren Bates, good name that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, they're all just so young and they're all just trying to work it out. So we're just trying to facilitate that and, um, you know, hopefully they're racing against the... Uh, the world tour ladies in three years or, yes. or so you know so. i love it it's quite it's really cool actually it's a privilege to see the athletes on the ground level and we were talking about luke platt i remember commentating his first national championships in the madison um and i remember chatting to him then when he was a 16 year old kid like real kid and so now you see what they're doing internationally and it's mm. also it's almost like a little bit mind-boggling, like imagining if your kids did it or something. Um, Hank, speaking of talent development, mm. you and I have a few things in common. I think in the uh, in the wheelhouse bunker, probably one of those is fairly strong opinions on Mr. Patrick Lefevre, <laughs> uh, Mr. Quickstep, Mr. Whatever you want to call him. Uh, you've had a fair bit to do with him over the years. Now, every week... Either I upset Belgium with my tweets about him um, and they get a little bit cranky with me back uh, or some, he says something that I just can't walk past. Now, this week what he said is that Jumbo Visma dominated at the Classics and he said that's just like quick step a few years ago. Hmm. But the insinuation is that the reason Jumbo are successful is because his team is no longer focusing on the Classics. Is that fair or is it just standard Lefebvre, really no need to say it kind of thing? It's not much. What he says most of the time is generally not fair and it's generally based around his ego. And um, I actually think that he thinks that the team is successful because of him. And you know, he's got a lot, lot of good traits, Patrick, but he puts, a, he puts his foot in it a lot. So what, uh, so what are his good traits? I mean, he's successful. I'll give him that. Like, he has built yeah. loyalty in that team. He's probably the most successful really. sports director ever. Um, it hurts me to say that. But, <laughs> I mean, I suppose you've got to have a little bit of understanding of how this guy has been around the sport for so long. So let's just go back a little bit before... Patrick Lefebvre turned on the scene. So there was a couple of massive Dutch teams back in the day before Rabobank, um, Panasonic, um, TVM, uh, teams like that, PDM, TVM, Panasonic. And there's a guy by the name of Peter Post, who my dad was really friends with. Peter Post won the most amount of races on the track with Patrick Sakou. He's just an absolute living legend. And a fantastic name, Peter Post. Yeah, Peter Post. <laughs> he won Roubaix. He won, he won so many races. It's not funny. When he used to take Panasonic to the France, he, the words that came out of his mouth were, if we don't win five stages of the, this year's Tour de France, like, it's not worth going. Like, they, oh. it, they wanted 
every year they were like five stages minimum is a pass mark for a Dutch team in the Tour de France. So, Gee, that you know, standard's somewhat shifted yeah. in the Ra- last years. Jan Raas, when I was on Rabobank, which is what Jumbo is, it's, mm. it's just changed about 17 sponsors since then. You know, he's he was a raging alcoholic and I remember this guy coming up in the team car. He was drunk in the team car. Driving the team car. Oh, yeah, oh, he's drunk all crikey. the time. Um, but the guys used to drive up and just smash the side of the door and, you know, just swear in Dutch, get on the front, you fuckers. You know, it's just completely, you know, just psycho. So, like, this guy has been – he came in just at the end of them. So – what the world was 20 years ago when he started because he was a sport director when I was racing in 1995. So he's been around so long with Quickstep. So now he's had the introduction of female women cycling. Whoa, he hasn't which, handled that. So that well. is for him is like he just doesn't think, you know, cycling's ready for female sport. And the, the guy just isn't ready. He's living in like still in 1995 world. Is there hope for him? Like, do you think. He's going to. If he wants to stay in the sport, if he wants to stay in the sport, I think he'll have to. But um, I think he needs a media advisor. Oh, that's the thing, though. I don't think I don't reckon he can deal that with that. I don't reckon he can deal with that at all. Like twenty twenty three, I don't think that's possible for him because he still thinks, you know, we should be winning the we're the best team in the classics, you know, which they're not now. It's so when I was racing, the women's teams were still pretty small. I mean, what was Mm. your Slight, like we had a bit of overlap in our careers, mm. um, but you're you started about eight years earlier than I did. What was women's cycling like in your days? Just there for wasn't reference, any. right? There wasn't any. No, but there was some before that. Like there used to be Liz Heppel and Kathleen. Yeah, Shannon we and had all like that. the had glory days when it first yeah, got introduced to the Olympics. But our teams were pretty small, and mm. so it really mattered who the head honcho was. Because you were so closely connected to them because there just wasn't any structure in the middle. And if you had a douche canoe like Lefebvre at the top, it was Mm. hell. And there are still a few. And I see some of them walking around still in women's cycling and it makes my skin crawl to Mm. think that they're still in the sport tormenting people. But for the men's team, there's a lot more riders. There's a lot more staff in the middle. Like, Mm. are you really affected by the big boss or can you kind of... Make it noise, background noise, and just get on with it. Well, I mean, it's, it's just those real characters like Lefebvre are the ones who have put more importance on themselves than their team. Well, does you know? Philippe care about what he's saying about him in the media? Or mm. I don't it... think he does because he can go to 17 other teams. Yeah, right. Whereas yeah. the little people have to just bite it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? they just got to chew down and just get on with it. Whereas the other guys can say, oh, just, you know, it's like got six teams yeah. that want me. So maybe so. it's actually not loyalty that keeps some people around. It's almost a lack of options or a power imbalance. Well, isn't that just kind of like how society is now? Isn't you can't it? speak up because, you know, you might get fired, you know? I know. I was listening to something the other day. Someone said all lives matter and they were fired from their job. Like, come on. It's just, you know, you got to... So anyway, but I don't need mm. Patrick Lefebvre because I, I, <laughs> I can say whatever I want about You've him. You've got but, your own. But um, but I will say, I mean, I don't like the guy, but I mean, he's running an exceptional program, and in Belgium, you need those those characters to bring the big dollars in. So um, yeah, and he I know successful that successful at that. You right? know, like Lotto, I've got a fantastic. 
program. So they do. Or, well, I was going to say Lotto Sedal, but they've changed now. But Lotto. D- Lotto um, Destiny. Yes. They are now. Yeah. Um, remembering the uh, good old days where it was Lotto Predictor, which I believe was a pregnancy test. Yes. I think they were trying to cross market to the female yes. audience well, on that one. I was on, on that, that team as well. But yes. not, not, not Lotto Pregnancy Test. I was on Lotto Davidamon, which da- was oh, 2005, yes. 2006. Yes. Some uh, good multivitamins. Uh, speaking of Lotto Destiny, I nearly said Sudal there. They've got a young rider, Arno Delee. Everybody's chatting about him. Uh, before Omlope, everybody was chatting about him and will he deliver on the talent that you know, the local rumours say he will. Uh, now, he got second in Omlope after stacking it, no less, mm. um, in a race where the team dynamics with Yumbo, he second was almost the best he could hope mm. for. Um, but there was a pic of him riding up the Gerardsbergen mm. in a big ring while half of the fellas were walking. Um, he's clearly an ox. Like, he's clearly very, very strong to be able to mm. do that. Um, but... Does, does that not show a little bit of inexperience to go up yep. there? Like, that's a bit unnecessary. Yeah. Is that... There's no reason for him to do that. No. But will he be called out on that? Like, will the team be saying to him, yep. you know, you can make these little adjustments and have a mm. big improvement? Yeah. I mean, I lived 7K from Gerardsbergen. That was our training route. So I've been up at 100 times. Anyone who's riding up there is an absolute freak. Have you walked up there? Or an idiot. No, I haven't walked up there. So that's one thing I haven't <laughs> done. All the Koppenberg, for that matter, I haven't oh, walked it's, up Mind there. you, if a rider like you is walking up it, mm. I feel sorry for the other three quarters of the peloton who don't have the same power. Yeah, but this kid's a freak. I mean... He won nine or ten races as a neo, mm. as a neo pro last year, mostly in the in the bunch sprint. So it'll be interesting to see whether he goes into that Boonen sphere. Mm. So you can there's there's lots of good sprinters out there. I can name fifteen right but what now does this who are mean as fast for as him. Caleb then. Oh, I don't think Caleb has to be worried about anything quite yet. Uh, I don't think they'll take this kid to the Tour de France for bunch sprints. They'll just keep him in the classics. Mm. So for him, um, yeah, I'm interested to see whether he can be that next step. Where Boonin used to be a good sprinter and then started getting, you know, second in his first Paris Bay. So he was the next level, right? It was one of the yeah. best right, classic rides of our generation. The next one will be if he rides in the front in a race called Harlebaker, which is a 200k version of Tour of Flanders. It's generally the week before, and I can guarantee you the top 10 in Harlebaker will be in top 10 in Tour of Flanders with maybe one Italian and you know one uh, French guy chucked in because that's that's your benchmark. If he rides in the front in Harlebaker, watch out for the classics for the next 10 years because um, I think you'll see him be the next classics guy and I can guarantee you Lefebvre's tried to get him already um, and I was reading a story this morning about how they Stefan Hulot is trying to get him on a long term and get more money for him because Ooh, they especially don't especially for him because they don't just want to lose him, him. Ooh. so their budget's tapped they know this kid's going to be in the next things they're actually saying it in the press we need more money for this kid we think we've got something special so that's pretty cool that they're actually going to go and try and extra money but um yeah, he's a freak. And Matt Rice, who was in our program in ARA, Skip Capital, um, was on the team. He was on the development lotto team and they are, he's much loved. They love the kid. All the, all the staff members and all the other riders think he's a freak. So Matt Rice didn't continue on. 
with them this year. But, um, yeah, they speak very highly of him. So. Oh, certainly one to watch. And um, Thomas DeGent also overnight said that he reminds him of a very young Peter Sagan. Mm. So to the kind of classics away from the straight sprint, that might be alluding to that a little bit as well from a teammate. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when Sagan started was freakish, always has, still is right now, probably doesn't even train and does really well. Uh, <laughs> he's probably over at Sagan right now. But, um, yeah, definitely, this, that next step. I can't wait to see what he does in the classics because he, he's going to win a bunch of sprints ev- everywhere he goes. Yes. So. Now, you loved your classics, Hank. Mm. And uh, in preparation for today's episode, our uh, very dedicated research team, which is to say Merksy out in the back, uh, did a little bit of digging on the interwebs. Uh, Hank. And look, we found a few interesting uh, little things from your time Here we go. Uh, on the scene from oh your young God. days, Bravo Bank. Tell, tell us uh, what you look, what we're looking at in this That's picture, That's a Jumbo Hank. Visma team there. Yeah. Right? So that's where it all started. How old are you, Hank, here in your Rabobank photo? And this well, is for postcards? Year, that's second year, pro. These are postcards, yeah. You used to get postcards back in the day. Yeah, take the team photos. Oh, and here's another one. Yeah, that was GAN 1998. Still got the middle part going on. I'm surprised <laughs> they don't have the piercing in the eyebrow. There, oh. was, there was one there. Well, now... This is a special one here. This is Credit Agricole uh, from when you were Australian champion. Autographed, no less. Yes. A postcard, beautiful portrait of you. I don't know how to describe what's going on with that facial hair. Yeah, the Dwight this Other than it appears like your razor was blunt in a few areas. Um, No, I must have seen a Zorro movie or something. (laughs) It is very Zorro-esque. Hang on, is that your card, Kate? Because it looks as – is that your card? No. Did I sign that for you? (laughs) Well, no. However – we found this on a website in Belgium, Holland, sorry, I think it was Holland or Belgium, selling it. And Two I can 50. confirm, well, no, five euros, thank you, we have bid. We are the highest bidder so far. Uh, we've got three days to find out whether they're going to post it to us or not. But we're hoping in all our memorabilia here. In, oh, but it's not as authentic, no, Hank. No, that's oh, well, not, I, I can't mean, believe it's signed. About that. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. Five euros. Bargain, we reckon. Yeah. So Merckx is uh, on the hunt for some good memorabilia there. Oh, well, he's got to be careful what's on the internet, you know. <laughs> like, there's so much stuff on the internet. Yes, caution okay. there. And, um, and I'd also um, note that you seem to have an affinity for very a lot of bleach in your locks over the years. <laughs> there has been a couple. There <laughs> has been a couple of times <laughs> where I may have actually just shaved the head or done... Uh, actually, that... Oh, here's a nice one, Hank. Uh, this is you from your Davidamon Lotto days, also signed. Um, that's beautiful. Frosted tips, is that what we call it? Actually, I'm not. Yeah, it may have been. Uh, do you remember Sun In? You used to get it at oh, Chemist. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I may have put some Sun In and it's just coming out. Like it, it's. Like this is January, remember? Like at the end of January, oh, you go after true. the Aussie Sun. So and I may have put some Sun In and, you know, the, the darks were coming. It's just a then. spray you put in that's like a little bit of bleach and lemon juice. Yes, and it, it smells horrific oh, and it gosh. looks terrible and generally comes out orange. <laughs> well, look, hopefully <laughs> we'll uh, get that postcard. In here in the bunker. So that can become a little piece of our uh, history in here. Speaking of funny things. Yeah, mate, uh, so you totally stitched me up on these photos. I did. Thank, I'm sorry. Thanks, Kate, but don't worry. I'm sure there's going to be lots of things on, on the internet of you somewhere along. The oh, line. I don't. Hey? Um, 
Oh, there we go. There we go. Oh, okay. There's a nice one of me. Yep, righto. <laughs> what, okay. What team's that one? Uh, all what, right. What? So here is my postcard from Ton van Bemelen Sports, which is probably good it's not in colour because it was like an electric green colour. And actually, I've got a funny story about this team. This was 2004. Uh when I then took this kit, like when you go to the Olympics, you ride on your own bike, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not that they give us a road bike. And uh, my bike was also this crazy bright green colour. And Peter Brock was our like team mentor that year. Um, so every Olympic team, you have somebody really cool. It was John Eels um, in 2008 come along who's essentially like your mascot, right? Like they yeah. dot around trying to keep everybody happy. So... I was really young and I thought that the team mascot essentially would be really nice to everybody. And Peter Brock, lovely fella, but he said to me, that's got to be the ugliest bike I have ever seen. And that was all he said to me. And I was absolutely gutted. And from that day on... You didn't like the bike. I hated the bike. Every time I got on it, I was like, oh, this is pretty This is pretty bad actually. Oh, oh here's a, another one. Of, oh, gosh. Hey, they come out of the woodwork. So Jeez. I told you to be careful on the internet. Can, Everything uh, pops up. They've got the old Google. Happy for you to stop Googling, Merxy. Uh, I don't think I can throw any shade on your uh, <laughs> hair colour based on the array no, of different hair colours. Is that red? Oh, yeah. A good ginger colour, I would say. Dark ginger. I don't know. Oh, yeah, back to the sun in. Back to the sun. Exactly. <laughs> well, they're like oh, our... Another one. Oh, here, see now, see, that there you looks go. You nothing like it. me. This is my Australian champion when I was uh, riding for Nuremberg uh, postcard. And the funny thing about this whole year... and Did you have white nicks when you were Australian champion? No, I did not. So specifically. They, I know. They made me ride the entire season with white nicks. With green and gold stripes around the in bottom. In Europe, with in cow Europe. shit on the roads, oh, the I, whole lot. The whole, would have been the whole season, I was apologising to people in the bunch because I knew that they were going to be see-through. Oh, I knew God. that they were horrendous. No, uh, but yes, I never so. wore white nicks. Well, there's a there's, oh, my signature hasn't changed in a decade. So is that there's online? Something fun. Have you, anyone bid on that? I one guess online? it is. Yeah, Merxy, can we get a bid online? Two, Two euro oh. seventy. So five bucks for yours. No, all year five euros. That's nine dollars, Aussie. Yours. <laughs> oh, yeah, gosh. I get it. Oh, and before no. we move on, we've got a beautiful one of you and Robbie McEwen uh, in the Rabobank so, days. You know the you know the uh, idea behind that. So I was supposed to be Robbie's lead out man. So they thought they'd get a photo of me leading Robbie out in a studio while I'm on the bike. So he's pushing me, like he's looking like he's pushing me. Yeah, I don't know that the creative team really nailed no. this one. It is a funny photo though, and he looks like the kid out of um, The Wonder Years. Yes, he does. Um, <laughs> actually. And oh, I look geez. like Cody Simpson. Cody Simpson. We're <laughs> going to put all of these up on our socials because they are pretty funny. Uh, good old back in the day. Oh. Um, speaking of things that maybe don't belong in the trophy cabinet, Dylan Madbala, when he won Omlope, have you seen the trophy? I haven't seen the trophy. I'll have to, I'll it have is to an look that absolute, one up. It is an absolute – I don't even know. It's an atrocity. Um, can you describe – we've got a picture up here in the studio. Can you describe what this trophy is? I think a lot of bent spokes um, <laughs> in an old candlestick. Can, they call them candelabras? Yeah, candelabra, yeah. A candelabra with a broken – they've just got some old spokes and then put a bike in the middle of it and then put a ring at the top. 
It's atrocious. It is atrocious. <laughs> but you know what? Everyone's talking about it. This is true. Now, Dylan Van Bala and uh, his teammate, Tish Benoot, both took classics wins on the weekend. Um, Tish Benoot, great story. He broke his neck back in August uh, 2022 in a training accident. Uh, for him to be back and winning is incredible and sensational. Um, bearing in mind that Wout Van Aert isn't even there yet, uh, how good is Yumbo? Like, are they just the absolute team to beat or? How scared are everyone? Yeah. How scared is everyone right now of the classics coming up? Um, I wouldn't read into it too much because openings weekend is generally, there's a lot of, you know, in our day it used to be called Volker Omelette Het Newsblood, which um, Dylan one is used to be called uh, Omelette Het Volk. So we used to say, you know, everyone does a big winter and come out really good in openings weekend and then fall on their face uh, in the classics. I can't see that happening with them. Mm. Um, Bernard's sick, so he's their, you know, unopposed team leader. But to win both, it's pretty massive. But they were, yeah, they were uh, they were opportunistic wins. And I say that, I mean, that's a great win. Don't get me wrong. But um, if you, when you get to the classics, it's all about, and when I'm talking Flanders, Rubeg and Wevelgem, Liege, Amstel, all those races, it's all legs. It's got nothing to do with who the strongest team is at that stage. Mm. It's just man on man in those races, and that's different. That's you, different you to, to be like guys are just starting to kind of come into form and they're trying to, you know, their year's based around one week, and that's Flanders, Gent, Wevergham, Roubaix for the classics. They're the three King Cobble classics, and they want to be good at that time, not now. Well, it's speaking April. of the King Cobble Classics, it's easy from this opening weekend to mm. say look, Yumbo are almost unbeatable, but it's been 26 years since they've won a Cobbled Classic in any regard. As you said, it used mm. to be Rabobank before it was Yumbo, but any iteration of that team, 26 years since Rolf Sorensen um, won in Vlaanderen. I believe you were there on the day. I was. I actually um, were, I was about 10 seconds off the back of that group that he was in and I had a teammate in so I had to go across on my own and I got caught with 1k to go and Rolf won it um that day and I had and he did a deal too by the way with Franco Ballerini oh yeah so tell us about that what is what so he was away so it's Franco Ballerini Rolf Sorensen Frederick Moncasen Moncasen was in Gann he was my teammate he was up the road so I couldn't chase and I had really good legs but Fred was our sprinter and we thought he's going to win it but um, Rolf spoke better Italian than than uh, than um, Frederick spoke uh, Fre- Flemish or Italian. So they were training partners, Ballerini and Sorensen. So the deal was done, and Rolf won't mind me saying this because you know it's twenty six years ago, years and he still passed. won it. So, but yeah, they did a little deal at the finish. Well, they spoke like, are better we talking Italian. like you know? What are we talking like a, a small no, Mercedes twenty well, thousand? Like what's I have the? Heard, I have heard that. Uh, I have another story after that, but yeah, I, I don't know whether it was a, a, a dollar amount, but I won't chase you if you don't chase me because they all knew that Fred was quicker, Ooh. Fred Monkerson. So, but yeah, anyway, I run 11th, but um, that that uh, was a bad day for us as a team because we should have won it and I couldn't chase because he was there and then I got caught and yeah. Memorable. So, but 26 years ago, it's kind of crazy, right? Especially if you had like Van Bon and Decker and all those in my era to not win a Cobble Classic. I think, it, yeah, it's a matter of time. Maybe it's a bit of a hoodoo on them. We'll see how they go. It's um, it's 
interesting to consider also the team dynamics because it's happening with the women as well. So a lot of Kopecky won um, newsblad for the women, for SD Works. First time a Belgian uh, lady has won. So that was fantastic mm. uh, for the Belgians and for her. And there was a bit of chat beforehand because they've just brought Lorena Vibes into the team, uh, the most successful sprinter from last season. Mm. And everyone's been saying, oh, is how's this going to work? Now, Vibes won the next day in a women's race called Hagerland, which is, you know, essentially KBK, yeah, but race. for the women, it's, yeah. but it's a big race. Uh, so they, SD Works also dominated that weekend and they're kind of favourites for Strada Bianchi. But when you've got so much talent in a team, Yumbo, um, it happen, it's happening at the moment. SD Works is happening at the moment. Um, we saw some disastrous occurrences in the past in teams with too many cooks in the kitchen. I want to say Michael Matthews and Simon Gerrans, that experiment didn't really work. Uh, mm. We could also look at Froome and Wiggins um, in Sky. That didn't really work. Are they on a collision course here, SD Works and Yumbo? No. No? No, no, So no. how does it get managed? More cards to play. Stronger, more cards to play. More cards to play in the final. And unless, unless it's like – generally, I mean, coming, coming to the finish of a race, you'd rather have your teammate there than someone else on another team who's going to chase you. I mean, they're not sure. going to chase down. And they're two different riders, right? They're oh, uh, yeah. They're, they're yeah. two different riders. Well, I feel Weavis like in Yumbo you've got two of each. Not right. <laughs> well, yeah, correct, yeah. Yeah. But I, I just I just think that, like, you saw what White Van Art did in the tour last year with Vingegaard. One of the best evers, evers of Tour de France history was mm. last year with Van Art right in the front and dropping uh, Pogaccia. That was seriously one of the best evers. I mean, it works for them. So he yeah. knows, he's like, I'm going to win the green. I'm going to win four stages. I'm going to help you in the mountains. But, you know, how about you lend me your GC guys to ride the front for a while while I win four stages in the first week? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that works for them because they're both best at what they do. They're different riders. So when you've got, you know, Kopecky is a different rider than Weavers. So, you know, they'll get their opportunities. And, yeah, there'll be times where they'll have to just suck it up. But um, that's what makes the DS important, right? Yeah, your job's really important. It's not It's not fun sometimes, I'm telling you, especially well, with selection because you've got to leave people out. It's like, no, you're not oh. coming because otherwise, you know, you can. here's your chance this week, next week it's his chance, next week it's your chance. And sometimes you pick both of them and then I have to say, listen, we're riding, we're riding for Wigo today, you know. Sorry, Blake, but, you know, he's the fastest guy, you're stronger, but going to be a bunch and you're leading him out but when it's the next time you've got to have you've got to compromise you got to compromise and say listen all right you know you're not getting over the climb today we go so you're bringing everything back for the first 60k and then when you get the ass then the other guys can help him you know there's two you, and i suppose that's why you got to know your riders so well you just gotta you've got to uh you've got to organize them in different phases in the well, race they have to trust you too so that even if they're yeah. disappointed they know that you're seeing the full picture exactly, and making the good call. Yeah, and that's what's important, that, that communication at the team meetings and around how your year looks and where you're going to get your opportunities. So when you talk about these, you know, these, these possible scenarios, generally within the team, within four walls, it's like, no, this is where you're going to be good. That's where he's going to be good. This is, you know, this is your time. You know, you're more suited to this. And they just, they just break it down. 
win so, together, lose together. But when you but when you get the the real real egos is when they go apart. Like when okay, no, I'm way faster than this bullshit that I have to ride for him today. <laughs> that last one year, yeah, they don't yeah. they don't hang. Yeah. They're gone. They go different ways, and and um, you saw that with yeah. with. In, you see that in a lot in a lot of cases. I mean, Wiggins was coming to the end of his, you know, Brad Wiggins was coming to the end of his when Froome was coming up. So, you know, they're always going to back Chris because he's the next new thing. But there was a time where they'd say, hey, Froome, come back. Easy, Tiger. Yes. You know? Oh, I remember where they had to essentially uh, ban their wives from going on Twitter because mm. um, Michelle Froome and, and Kath Wiggins were getting into it on Twitter yeah. um, on the other's behalf. Um, That's good. Look, it can be entertaining. And uh, speaking of which, have you seen that Netflix are bringing out a Tour de France documentary? Can't wait. Can't wait. What, are Can't we going to see? Like, are we going to see some nitty gritty? Do you think? Yeah, I reckon we will. I, and I think the Netflix documentary. I think the, the cycling diehards are going to love it because they're going to see more, and yeah. you'll see a lot more tactical stuff in there. But I think it, this is just going to bring a whole new level of spectator to our sport. Like what Drive to Survive did, Drive to Survive did for F1. Um, I think it's going to do for cycling. Yeah, like, I'm pretty excited about it, to be honest. Yes. As a director, do you want more of this? Do you want the cameras in you your want face? Are all you the time. happy? Yeah. You need this. We need this for our sport to grow. If we don't have this mainstream. You know, we're going to be stuck in 1978 where every team has to get their own money. This is, the this is the way through to for us to get, you know, big corporate proper funding. Worlding in, you know, having a proper federation that can fund our sport, this kind of stuff. This what, is what's really going to bring the money into our sport, I reckon. What do the riders think of it? Do they mind having cameras all up in their face or...? I don't think, I don't think riders would care. I mean, you know, obviously not in in the bathroom on some and they would have had to edit a lot too yeah. I, I think there would have been some contract signs saying hey listen we don't mind you coming in but we want to have authority over what's showing and we need to sign it off yeah because you know there's every team has their little tricks that they don't want other teams to know and they'll make sure that that's uh that's uh adhered to otherwise yeah that'll stop but yeah. i don't think it will because the sport really needs it unreal i'm really looking forward to that um before we move on to what's coming up, because there's some crackers just around the corner, um, did you see Adam Yates on uh, Jabal Hafeet, I think it's called? Yeah, it is. Um, broke Pogacar's record by four seconds up that climb. People are talking about it like, whoa, how good is Adam Yates? But I, all I saw was effectively that he got motor paced until just near the end mm-hmm. and then just had to do a little bit of an effort. So... On paper, he broke the record, but... How many minutes did he lose before? Well, he lost a minute in the crosswind. Only yeah. a minute? Only, well, 51 seconds or something. So no pressure, all race, just stay on the wheel of Venipole at the bottom and then try and offload him with 350 to go? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a big difference than riding GC and having that pressure all week. And the kids, are, I mean, those two boys, and I call them boys because they're younger than me, so they are boys, <laughs> Adam and Simon, you know, they are just... You know, the Yorkshire Terriers, you know, they love riding uphill fast and, you know, I don't think I'll ever, you know, win the Tour de France any day. But, um, you know, they are certainly incredible bike riders when it goes uphill. Their powder weight's exceptional. But, um, 
They're really yeah. pure climbers, aren't they? And just I mean, pure climbers, yeah. I guess can't they can't time trial out of a wet paper bag. <laughs> Good saying. You know, so, <laughs> but uh, you know, limit your losses. I mean, not horrific, but they're not time trialists. And you know, guys like Avina Pol and Bacarcha and Plappy and those guys, they've, they can do can time a little, trial. Can time trial. It's it's interesting, I think, to see also like UAE. It's their home tour. Mm. They would have been a little bit nervous that going they'd... into the end without a lot to show for it. Exactly. I mean, so. when you got Pogaccio on your team, really, you don't need to do well in the home in the home garden, do you? When you've got literally the biggest, second biggest sporting event on earth, and he's won two of them. Yeah, you know this what I mean? is true. Like so, for them, it's just like, oh, we're just going to put a race on in our little desert. Sure, out here. In our little desert. In our little That's desert here, and might have to. I was pretty actually. I'll. I'll Make a point up about this. The racing was great. I reckon there was fifteen people at the finish. That that for yeah. me that for me was a real downer. I'm looking at it going, all right, we've got some camels, some sand, and some, <laughs> and we've got some, you know, like fences and a you know big gantry at so, the finish, and it's on television, but no one's there. Was it fifteen spectators or people? Like, do the, does that include camels? And- uh, I, I reckon half of them were the camera operators and the commissaires and everything else. I mean, yeah, it's it's made for television. Made isn't it? for television, and like that's the difference between the sport. In, in you know Saudi Arabia uh, or in in the Middle East and where even in Australia like and Europe it's just people love it over there they don't know what's going on what is this bike thing yes. what is this bike riding they're thing? the two ends of the spectrum aren't they yeah. um so coming up Strata Bianchi I love Strata Bianchi it's such a romantic beautiful race on the white. And the gravel, I know, I love it, really. Yeah. Um, and also, romance, I never thought about it being romance. Uh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I do. Like, I think, I mean, I guess if you saw um, Lulu's fall oh, yeah. last year, there's that's, nothing particularly that's rounds, romantic it, about that. that. One. Yeah. Why is it not a monument? Because it's not old enough. Okay. So who decides that? Is that like, so it will never be a monument? Yeah, I think it will. I right. think it'll be another Italian monument, but. I mean, Who actually decides that? Is that the UCI? No, I, I don't think there's actually that term monument is is what journalists call them. Right, okay. There's no such thing as a monument except for what, hmm. you know, like we call it that in the cycling world. You well, know, maybe so. that's why when I was trying to research who gets to decide, I there couldn't find no, an answer. It's just folklore, <laughs> right? I mean, like Melbourne to Warrnambool should be a monument. It's the second oldest race on earth. Right. Do you know what I mean? But, you know, it's it's kind of an afterthought. But Liège-Bastogne-Liège is the oldest race in the world. Mm. So Lombardy's been around since 1940, 50, and the others are all, you know, 80, 80 90, 100 years old. So maybe that's what it is. But It's a cool it's, race. It will be. It will be a monument. Especially if they keep the roads as they are in Tuscany. Which is to say in terrible condition. Well, that's what you want. Which makes it interesting. Well, there is a law in France that they are not allowed to repair the roads in northern France. Truly? Like the cobbles and... They are not allowed to. They can't do it. They, They have to get approval and they can only remake it with the same material. That's cool. So you can re cobble it, but, um, yeah, so, yeah, it's, I mean, I love that race. All right, so uh, who's going to be successful at Strata Bianchi? Because um, we're missing a few. We've got no Wout. He's not back yet. 
Podge isn't coming back to defend. Well, is Van der Poel coming? He is. Well, so he's the favourite and they're going to ride. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm Anyone sorry from to... Yumbo? <laughs> Maybe and, Laporte? Yeah, well, you've, yeah. Tish Laporte. Tish Benoot has won it already. He has, he? yeah. So, I mean. I think he and Van der Poel are the only previous winners on the start list. Mm. But yeah. I need to, I'd need to go over the the start list again. Yeah, I haven't gone over the start list, but um, you can't go wrong with those three names. Um, there's obviously is and Alaphilippe is there. He is, yeah. So he's back. Yeah, a year yeah. after comes in with good form too. Yeah, I mean, if you if Vanderpool comes to the finish, I can't see him getting beaten unless Binium Jamais there, which he's got Ooh. his measure. But well, uh, Monty Gobert, they've been successful this season. They've had a pretty good crack at it so far. They are the most underrated team in the peloton. Is that because they've got the March. worst kit? No, well, <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, right, how these small teams, or you used to think they're all small teams, have like 15 sponsors. But, yeah. Um, such an underrated team. Geez, they're good. And Alberson, I love Alberson. How successful. I just did Tour de last year with the boys where Craig Wiggins won a stage. and They won five. They won five stages. Like, it just goes unnoticed how many races they win. So it's the same thing with Wanty. They win all the time. They keep winning. They're great. And maybe that's the downfall of Quickstep. I call it, still call it Quickstep. Oh, yeah, that's it's not hard. even their name. But <laughs> De, De Koning Sudal, is it? No. Uh, is oh, it yes, different? it is. It is. You're right. De Koning Sudal. Yeah. S- yeah. So maybe it's the downfall of their class. It's over. The classics are over for them. No. I mean... See what it's Lulu a, can do on his, on his comeback. Well, and in the women, Kapeki, I mean, she's on form. She won last year. She's mm. kind of a natural. Mm. Um, Annemiek van Vloten now. I'm really curious on your take on this. I don't know why, but I take a lot of her comments with a bit of a grain of salt. And I'll, tell, I'll explain why. She is by far and above the most successful current rider in the women's peloton in terms mm. of um, consistency. And that's even above... Riders like Mariana Voss, who mm. is well considered the goat. She but really took her mantle, hasn't she? She has. She really has. So last week in Omlope, she had a flat and mm. that ruled her out of the race. But the comment at the end of the race was, I got a flat because I hit a pothole. Almost as if I would have won, but the pothole got in my way and... Almost detracting a little bit from Kapeki's win, it kind of bothered me because I thought mm. everybody else avoided the pothole. Mm. And you got, am I just, over, am I just bulk, being a bit of a cow a there? In, in, I mean, it happens to everyone. So I don't know why she would even talk like that. Yeah, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit sceptical, but um, well, she'll be there too. And Cassia Newadoma, she's an interesting one. She's been uh, on the podium four times, but she hasn't won it. Is that like a hex or does that make you hungrier for it? Mm, I think it's maybe the way she races. Yeah. Or has she been beaten by four different people or the same one each time? She's been beaten by three different people in that four. Mm. Well, I mean, if she's – that's why it's so good to be fast, right? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. When you're someone who can sprint, you have so many more options. Like if you're not a sprinter, it sucks to be you. Like if you're strong, yeah. Yeah. uh, If you're a strong rider and you can't sprint, you're like, oh, you know what? I was, you know, 15 times in the first five, but I, you know, I can't sprint. So like, you know, that's. I mean, yeah. I mean, super strong, you ride away. If you come in the group and you always get beaten, it just sucks to not have a sprint on you, and and you're always. That's why it's so valued. 
fast riders. So sprinters, they just they can win ten a year. I mean, how many climbers win ten races a year? Yeah, not many, right? No, it sucks to be a climber. Well, friend friend of the show, Rachel Nalen, I think holds the ominous record of the most top tens in a world tour race without getting a victory. Oh. On one hand, gee, how impressive that is! Is that been at the top of a game for a yeah, long time? Yeah, but on the other hand, how frustrating! Not been able to throw the hands in the air. I and know. Blow kisses. Oh, oh, I want to take her out on the road and teach her how to sprint. Although, <laughs> in fairness, I don't know that I'd be any chop these days to be able to do it. No, it makes two of us. <laughs> um, I now, do it on a motorbike. Oh, that's a good idea. On a, mo- a, on a motor scooter, and then yeah, t- teach him. Um, I did see this morning that uh, Ag to R are coming out at uh, Strata Bianchi, Hank, with these old-looking Castelli-type denim design shorts. Oh, God. What's that about? Literally, oh. it looks like there's like a, a denim a, pocket on it. It's like a marketer's dream, that stuff, isn't it? But like, do you think it can get worse than the, sorry like the to say, Carrera. the blue brown nicks that they normally rock? Mm. Um, yeah, like Carrera, like the old... That was kind of cool back in the day, in the 80s, <laughs> like when Pantani was racing then Everything or comes mid back. mid-90s, you know, like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that I'm, I'm not in the marketing space, but I reckon it's a great move marketing-wise because now we're talking about it. Yeah. So, and then all the photos, they're going to they're gonna be talking about, you know, these crazy denim shorts that, you know, the whole new generation hasn't seen. We're just suckers for the marketing, aren't we? Um, before we move on to a few other little quirky stuff, um, I just want your opinion on Pog versus Jonas. Uh, they've cha- they've both changed previous year's race programs um, mm. for their tour warm-up now, so we'll see them head-to-head uh, very soon in tours. What do you think? Is it good to see them head-to-head early on in the season or do you want to wait uh, until the tour? Yeah, it's always good to see two champions like that going early. Um, I wouldn't read anything into it, though. I wouldn't read anything into it at all. Like, oh, man, I mean, we're so far away from the last week in July because that's mm. when it only that's the only thing that matters for those two guys. Good perspective. Right but, you know, we like reading into things, Hank, because then <laughs> we've got stuff to talk about. Yeah. So, you're, so you're saying if Vingega, for example just dominates and Podge loses 10 minutes, not that I think that would happen, mm. that big deal big, no or big vice deal. versa? No nah, big deal? No, nah. I reckon it's great that the champions are racing now and you have to be racing to be in that really good nick, but uh, they're they've just fully into their builds and they're probably at different times, you know what I mean? So for, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't read into it too much. What I want, yeah, what I want to see is whether, how... Podjakar goes in his time trials this year. Ooh, you think that's a big yeah indicator? Indicator. Yeah, I think that'd be. I mean, well, there's his, a team's time trial well. in uh, in Paris Nice that mm. I think he was wanting to sharpen his teeth on a bit. I mean, that team's not necessarily known to be gun teams time trialers, are they? Well, they've got to be stronger this year in yeah. the tour if they want to come up against the world's best. I mean, last year, seriously, Jumbo just took the piss. Like that was awesome. Like yeah, it was well, so good. All indications are that they're going to do it again too. Mm. So, um, speaking of Yumbo, did you see Jonas Vingago in the drone shot in El Gran Camino? They had this fantastic drone shot. It was buzzing all around him. I didn't. 
Oh, I'm not going to lie to you and say I did. I, I didn't see it, but Do I'll you... have to um, check well, it out. Well, my question is, he came incredibly close to the rider. Do you think like it's cool to uh, have these new hang shots on. and it, great? Hang on. Was it on top or next to? Next to. How and in far front away? and on top. Oh, right up close. So I think there is I think there is a rule somewhere. I'm going to have to look it up. And I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to have a drone any on top. Well, certainly in Australia. Into... Yeah. Certainly in Australia, that's the rule. I mean, there's been a lot of online debate about how this was, how could this happen in terms of regulation mm. and everything like that. But just as a broad rule, like my view on it is that that would, if I was in time trial mode and I had anything just buzzing around me like that, it would be quite off putting from a sporting perspective, even mm. forgetting the safety. Yeah. I mean, he probably doesn't. He's probably just see those time trial helmets on and disc wheels and stuff and the wind in the helmet. Probably, like he doesn't, probably doesn't hear. He wouldn't yeah. hear it. Well, he's a pretty quirky character. In uh, the presentation afterwards with the champagne, uh, he took the foil wrapper off the champagne and folded it neatly and put it in his back pocket ostensibly to recycle it. Did, he, did he actually say that he was going to recycle? Yeah. Oh. I liked that. Like, I thought that was quite cool. That's good. And it's great they've put litter zones too in bike races now. Yeah. Every race has a litter zone and you can get you get chucked out now if you're chucking gel wrappers out yeah. into the bush, which it's, is, that's awesome. Every race that I've done for the last almost two years now has had a litter zone. So that is really good because, I mean, oh, man, I littered for 20 years, like, in bike races. And imagine the amount of plastic wrappers yeah. that are just lying around for me imagine you know the other 50,000 that did it so yeah you got to lessen that environmental impact um a couple of other funny things that stood out to me this week uh, on a positive front ef uh easy post they've won more races so far this year than they won in the entire season last year what's the change <laughs> I don't know. That's good pretty. That's camp. pretty good, though. I think somebody's going to be happy with that. Possibly, possibly. A new psychologist. Have um, they got new sport directors? Yeah, maybe they've they've banned a few people from being on the inner circle. New bikes, maybe they're fancy. They look. I don't good. think bikes have anything to do with it. Unless Peter Brock tells you that your bike <laughs> is shit, and then it does. Maybe they hypnotise <laughs> them over the summer and just you know. Indeed. You, you will win. You will win. <laughs> um, now, to finish us off this week, Hank, what I love about social media these days, we get more access to the athletes and their personalities. Mm. They can pass on some really handy tips around training or nutrition. Um, I'm not sure Garrett Thomas has really read the memo um, on that. Uh, donuts is what he's role modelling uh, <laughs> on social media. Big old donut in his mouth. Is this what you feed your athletes post-race? Hang on. Was this at a team race or was this, no, this him was training, training at a home? It was training. Good on training him. Kit. Get a donut in you, mate. <laughs> you know, he's probably done 180K in the cold weather, like can't feel his hands, his hunger flat. He's like, I want a donut and I'm going to <laughs> yes. eat it. And I'm putting it on social media, so get stuffed. I like it too. Um, <laughs> Fanta and Mars bars were my I'm hunger flat, I need to get home yeah. go-to. Oh, oh, so 100%. If I'm in trouble, I go for the Black Doctor, the Black the uh, Coke, and for sure, 100%. So I, I yeah. love it that he does. He's human. Exactly. You know, imagine I love him that just too. drinking yes. mineral water yeah. and a music bark. <laughs> yes. No one wants to see that. They take themselves like a little bit too seriously. And I noticed um, <sighs> that he's just not in his beautiful Oakleys anymore, uh, Hank, but... 
What are sun those gods. he's wearing? Yeah, Sun Gods. They're fantastic. They're our sponsor, actually. I mean, I'll talk them up because they're our, they're our sponsor. Uh, and I'll talk them up because they are our sponsor, but I'll talk them up <laughs> because they're actually really good and they do custom and they're a new company have done really well and they're really easy to deal with and they're not as expensive as Oakley. Oh, there and, you um, go. They Boom look tish. as cool. So, yeah, tick, tick and tick. Yeah. There. Well, uh, let's see if we can get Dunkin' Donuts on board with Sun God and everybody is <laughs> a winner. Dunkin' Donuts. Actually, that's not a bad one. That's a pretty hey. good one, isn't oh, it? I be my next make, target. Uh, good uh, post-race Wendy's. fuel. Um, oh, they're coming to Australia. That's not necessarily good news. Now, before I let you go... Mm. We're a little bit out from it yet, but I need your tip on who's going to take the cobble at Pararoo Bay. This is a race that you have almost made a fairy tale for Australian cycling fans. The images of you um, in Roubaix, you covered in mud. You mm. look like you're having a horrendous time. No helmets. Oh, yeah. my gosh, that makes my skin crawl. Um, yeah, those little right. Sinelli... Um, Spinachi bars. Spinachi bars. That's what they were called, the little half um, aero bars. You loved this race. Mm. And to a degree, the race loved you, even though um, you had some good ones, you had some tough ones. Who's going to win it this year? I feel like it's a pretty open field Mm. uh, with so much talent coming through. Well, I'm going to stick with the curse not being broken. um, So no Yumbo? That's Yumbo uh, out? Vanderpool is going to win it. Ooh. I'd love to see that. Wouldn't you? Now, you know I was teammates with his dad. I do know that. Yeah, his last year was my first year Ooh, in 95. Oh, I thought there were a few more years overlap nah, than that. No, 95 was his last year with us. But um, I would love to see him win that. I hear he's not going to race for that much longer. Ooh. So um, I would love to see him win that. But, I mean, I would too, you yeah. throw a blanket over about 10 guys, you know, that, that rivalry yeah. is – we're so lucky to be in this era, those oh. two. It's We've a, an art and Vanderpool. We're just so lucky to have those two in the sport. Um, it look and Vanart will Vanart's going to win it um, one at day at some point. At some point he'll win it. He may win it in the next three years. You know he might do a boonum in the next five years. He's that good. I'd love to see Vanderpool win it though. I'd love to see that too. And you just know we not anyone of Patrick Lefebvre's <laughs> boys. <laughs> None of no. I'd be happy with that too. Even though they had a lot of luck, bad luck last year. Yeah. Well, look, so. very quickly, we discovered last week this wonderful UCI rule where if there is a dead heat, um, there's provision for a race off, one kilometre standing start, first to the line wins. If it's on a velodrome, that also... Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Roubaix, they'll do the last so, K again. Yeah. If it's no, a no, they do the last K on the velodrome. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. as close to the number of laps on a velodrome. So can you imagine how epic that would be if Vanderpool and Van Aert, I mean, I'm living in like movie territory here, but cross the line, dead heat, and oh, then no. kilo standing start <laughs> race off. Oh, I am drooling <laughs> yeah, just thinking about it. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, Hank, thank you so much for joining us. Um, no, my huge pleasure. amounts of luck to ARA Skip Capital in your role there. And uh, enjoy the classics from the couch as much as you can. Yeah. Um, next week, we are going to have so much to talk about, but we do have a very special episode uh, for International Women's Day. I sat down with the wonderful Imogen Alton the other day, one of Australia's rising stars. Um, she's got an incredible journey. So tune in for that one. And then maybe Joel will be healthy. Maybe I'll be calling you again next week, Hank. Who knows? But thank you for coming into the bunker. You're now firmly a friend of the wheelhouse. 
And uh, if we win the online auction for your card, you'll take pride of place here. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure anytime. I'm just down the highway, so I can come in fill in for whenever. Love it, love it. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of The Wheelhouse, and we'll see you soon. The Wheelhouse is produced at River City Studios for Listener and proudly supported by Champion System, Per Se and the Grow Getters Group. Our executive producer is Luke Merksey-Mears and the show is written and hosted by Joel Spreadborough and me, Kate Bates.